Music. Reviews. Chat. Poems. Comedy. Writing. Interviews. ELFM. It's radio for so much more. to the Vandal Factory Radio Show. My name's Natalie Quatermass. And I'm Henry Raby. And together we are Vandal Vandal Factory. Factory. What's Vandal Factory, Henry? We are a collaboration of... Me (laughs) and you. (laughs) Uh, We were, and we're still technically a theatre company, um, but uh, we are combining our skills together because I am a poet and... Playwright, I was a bit uncertain then, I wasn't too sure. And you are a community worker, theatre maker, artist, working on focusing on climate adaptation and adaption and PhD student extraordinaire. Are you having a mental breakdown? <laughs> Have you forgotten who we are? E, it's, it's, an, t- <laughs> it's amazing we got commissioned for a second series, oh, isn't it? Oh man, thinking all that preparation we had to do for a second series. This is indeed the start of our second series of the Vandal Factory. I I had a chat with the higher ups yeah. over at, at, at Chapel FM Arts Centre where East Leeds FM is based. I had a chat with the broadcast worker. Yeah. Yeah. Henry's for those of you that don't know, Henry's being facetious I'm, because he, he is the the, the broadcast the, worker. I'm the broadcast worker. Hey, Nat, how's your hope and how's your anger? Yes, indeed. On this show, we like to talk about hope. We like to talk about anger because we talk about how arts and activism combine and their beautiful ways that they cross over. And the two flames that keep arts and activism burning are hope and anger. How is mine? I hear you ask, Henry Uh, Raby. Correct. Um, Anger is pretty darn high. The rage is incandescent i would say are you running a rageathon absolutely furious how dare they (laughs) how dare they i'm talking about energy bills yeah and the energy crisis and the cost of living crisis i mean we've we've always known right that this is what this system is doing Mm. but there has never felt such bare-faced greed and corruption in our faces and just it feels like the overlords are looking at us and going oh i'm sorry did you did you think that you were in control of did your you little want, lives did you want to eat this winter oh, oh dear. i'm sorry did you <laughs> did you think that your health and well-being mattered in this society no 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 what matters is our shareholders i just um like lots of people gobsmacked Uh, even though i'm not surprised i'm still gobsmacked and there's two there's a two-pronged attack on venues right um from whether that's community spaces or or pubs or theaters cinemas because people don't have enough money to go out and to put money into these um organizations buildings and those buildings have to pay massive new energy bills right so like already they're going, oh no, we need to pay a bill. Well, we need to put on some good stuff to get people in. Oh no, people are skint and can't come in. So it's a I catch just, 22. I, 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 
if everyone's just kind of looking at each other, shrugging and blinking, going, have you got any money? No, I don't have any money. Do you have any money? No, I don't have any money. Do you have any money? No, I don't have any money. But, but meanwhile, we know that some people have got lots of money and they're keeping it to themselves because trickle-down economics <laughs> doesn't work, Henry! Don't worry, Natalie, because people are... On it. There's been a big campaign called Enough is Enough launch, which is a collaboration right. between politicians and trade unions and um, uh, activist organisations like ACORN, which I'm a part of. And also you'll be happy to know that lots of trade unions are standing up for themselves. The posties have been on strike. Yeah. The lawyers the, have been on strike. The... Um, uh... The refuse collectors in Edinburgh have been on strike. The train workers have been on strike. They, 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 for a long time, it's felt uh, like there's like unions are getting more headlines hmm. and getting attention, and people are like, "Oh, really? It's is def- that is it difficult to be poor and working? <laughs> oh, good lord! Isn't it? Isn't it irritating when we don't have these services that we can take for granted?" It's definitely um, the first time I've noticed in. Uh, uh, probably almost 10 years there was a wave of strikes around the first wave of austerity measures mm-hmm. and then yeah it has been quiet but it feels like hot strike summer well now yeah. we're going into hot strike autumn yeah uh, anti-austerity autumn hey now cast your mind back to 2014 <gasps> a certain bumbling oaf is mayor of london oh, no but don't worry the RMT are on it. Uh, it feels like history repeating, doesn't it? The RMT go on strike uh, and Boris Johnson is in the news. Well, he's in the news because today he's tethered his resignation. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, I just wish we could be more joyful and happy about it. I don't feel personally any joy or um, jubilation about, about his resignation because it's just it's followed by... Another conservative um, prime minister. So until that changes, I'm going to hold my celebrations. How about you? How's how's it ho- affecting your hope and your anger? Oh, I'm massively more hopeful because I think that they've picked the absolute wrong horse, and <laughs> this horse is this is a horse that like can't find its way out of the stables. <laughs> this this is a horse that um, doesn't know its hoof from its arsehole. So. <laughs> Um, maybe they'll fall on that sword. Hey, this goes out to you, Boris. Sod off. Uh, well, other opinions are available, of course, yeah. here at East Leeds FM. You know, the, the the views of Henry and Natalie do not reflect the wider East Leeds FM community. Anyway, here's a song about Boris Johnson by Steve White and the protest family. May Johnson is not a man Who cares much for promises Or for ticket offices or passengers, or staff. He wants to ax a thousand jobs, a thousand livelihoods he'll rob while ruffling his hair. Oh my, he's such a laugh, but it's a bad day for Bojo, it's a good day for Bob Crow. The underground workers have all gone on strike, it's a good day for Bob Crow, it's a Bad day for Bozo, he best get on his 
He wants to close the ticket office. I read it in the Daily Boris. Replace it with a cost of coffee. Must be off his head. And he's attacked the workers' right to say enough to go on strike. Let's have a ballot about the mayor instead. Cos it's a bad day for Bojo. It's a good day for Bob Crow. The underground workers have all gone on strike. It's a good day for Bob Crow. It's a bad day for Bozo. He best get on his bollocks, Barclays, by Banjo. There's a moral to this story, it's one we've told before. You vote for someone funny, they'll act above the law. So if you think the mayor is crazy, you want to ride the tube in safety, join a picket line and show Bozo the door. Cos it's a bad day for Bojo, it's a good day for Bob Crow. Steve White and the protest family. I had the uh, pleasure of uh, gigging with them a few years ago in Nottingham, and that was very nice. Um, but I also had the pleasure of gigging at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival Ooh, earlier. You, you went for a little couple's getaway, didn't you? Yeah. It was the first time that, that you and your girlfriend had planned a lovely holiday break together. And guess who showed up? <laughs> I couldn't believe it! Henry told me, like, really sincerely turned to me when we were in the pub, like, a few months ago and was like, oh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to just me and Rhiannon being able to go up to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And with a little twinkle in my eye, I turned to him and said, what dates are you going? <laughs> and they were exactly the same dates that uh, me and my partner and also, like, Naomi from the LS14 Trust and various other people um, were also around, so you you didn't get any alone time at all. No, it was did you? it was just business, all business, <laughs> business, business, business. Well, um, we saw a few good shows, but f- we also recorded a little bit of audio as we were walking around. Our thoughts, yeah, like captured live there in the heat we, of the we moment. We wanted to bring Edinburgh to <laughs> the Vandal Raptors. Yeah, our little lovely Raptors out there in Radioland. So um, yeah, without further ado, here is our. Walkabout our, ch- chat. our chat in Edinburgh. Vandal Factory go to the Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> so here we are down Drummond Street, the little cutway to go from the Pleasants through to the main bit of the Fringe. Nat, do you remember the first time you came to Edinburgh Fringe Festival? Oh my goodness. Uh, no. Yeah, no, it was uh, the, just after my brother's wedding in Glasgow. Oh, OK. And just before I went to the Isle of Arran and then I went on to the uh, Holy Isle for a <laughs> meditation <laughs> retreat because I was a normal 20-year-old. You were <laughs> a gibbering wreck, weren't you, mate? Yeah, it went, that's, what, that's how I chose to spend my holidays on my own. Uh Oh, it's great. So it feels like the Fringe is, you know, it's this massive explosion. Like every corner, every nook becomes a venue. Yeah. 
big posters, unrolled banners, flyers everywhere clogging the streets. Everyone in costume, the number of uh, like people you see walking about in the streets on their own, talking out loud. Like that, yes. that, That's more common than people not talking out loud. Yeah. <laughs> And it's almost like there's an underbelly to it. And I'm not talking about the underbelly venue. And there's an underbelly of like, it's such a slog. And people like, (laughs) we're here in the last week and people have got like four shows left. And there's uh, There's people giving out flyers with their... behind the eyes. Yeah, so tired of doing 20 odd show runs. So there's so much joy and enthusiasm and exuberance. Um, metered with... For people who are here for two to three days. (laughs) Oh boy, (laughs) two days, two days. Um, and it's strange how the fringe like so much it feels like it's trapped in time because it's the same big posters of comedians yeah it's the same venues like you know it's the same stuff that just gets stored and put away and but and also like just memories of years past where they all sort of merge into one and you can look down the corners and be like oh i went on a date with that person there or had got too drunk in that bar there saw that amazing show that changed my life there but also we we, we have different fringes (laughs) (laughs) and it's also been two years since i've been at the fringe two years since it was sort of it was here last year but properly returned i think um yeah it just reminds me of love for spoken word poetry and this is where like I cut my teeth on spoken word poetry of like just seeing this massive amazing scene of poets but it's it's not as as nothing is it's not um it's not a utopia right so like the cost of living is so so apparent like it's getting more and more difficult it's all in our in our professional careers in the last 10 years it was always ridiculously hard to be able to bring and afford to be here generally never mind bring a show and now it just seems outrageous and and they're just the the ticket prices are really expensive and being able to buy food and drink is super super expensive and that's okay for us if we're coming for a couple of days you go well this is our holiday we Mm -hmm. don't mind splashing out but for the people who are working here mm-hmm. and it's the artists and the crew and the ushers and the waiters and everyone who have still got to try and survive this festival. It's so exploitative. I, it's really, really exploitative. It's completely, uh, inverted commas, run on goodwill. Yeah. Um, and seen as, you know, again, another heavy inverted commas, like an investment in your career or in your soul which is just another way of um workers compensating industry yeah yeah um and and this particular fringe is the the politics is is on the street because we've got a bin strike Mm -hmm. and that has been really quite shocking to see the amount of rubbish and litter and we're walking past one now Mm. like every single bin is overflowing there's bags of rubbish everywhere, um, and that's because the the um, bin workers are on on strike for, I believe, ten to twelve days in Edinburgh city centre because they were only offered a, um, a a pay rise that wasn't in keeping with the cost of living, and so they've said no, and it's and it's quite remarkable to like the amount the impact that that has. I want the fringe to keep on existing and I want it to to be egalitarian in that 
it needs to be affordable if it's going to maintain this diverse eclectic mix of like unproduced mm. all sorts of stuff going on but it's it becomes self-selecting if it just becomes about the people who can afford to be here yeah be here. and some people come for a fun you know a fun jolly and they're bringing a show straight out uni or drama school and they just want to like come and be part of it and yeah and you don't mind living with 10 people in a yeah, room yeah. and you sleep on your sleeping bags like done all that but but i think if you're coming and you you are work, working on career in the arts you need to have like why am i doing this and the question you might be asking dear listeners like why do you do it is because so many of the industry come you get reviews you so that then you can get tours you get producers and programmers to come so that you can get your show out there on on a on a circuit out for bookings um and so you have to be savvy about it and i think the i've always felt like the fringe is just it's it's almost too big to fail but then it's too big to contain everything it needs to be and should be and then actually the solution is probably i mean brighton fringe is really coming up like more fringes in every city yeah. more alternative stuff Your different different, uh, different celebrations yeah that was a thing that happened for a bit and um, and yeah, like I think that's that's the way. Is actually it sort of has to fail, but that means that other stuff can grow in other cities, towns, and culture happens. So it isn't just people with a bit of money can come and see a load of stuff. Oh, oh no, 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 no crossing the road. We meet these rebels who walk in front of us in the. We're, we're Vandal Factory, but we still <laughs> wait for the green man and the little beat. Give really a sensible factory. I'll tell you a good political thing that's happened this year, though. Another reason I'll remember it is uh, last week, Scotland made sanitary products uh, a right. Mm. So, so every, every person can have access to free sanitary products. And I sort of saw that headline and went, oh, good, that's a good thing. And then came up here and came on my period the, <laughs> the second that I arrived in <laughs> Edinburgh. And it is done... It's remarkable to be able to go into Lose and of course we expect soap you expect there to be toilet paper why on earth wouldn't you expect there to be sanitary products as well and and it's it's a game changer and like every time I've been to the loo I've been absolutely delighted <laughs> that that's and it's one of those signs of I wouldn't say that was a hill that I would have died mm. on before because you just get used to having less. And then when someone or a country go, nah, that's, that's what people should expect. That's a, ba- a standard a of minimum, living. Yeah. That's a bare minimum. Then all of a sudden you question yourself and you go, oh, yeah, why did I ever settle for less? Yeah. Um, so well done. I'm delighted about that. That's great. Good work, Scottish people. You're okay. What are we coming up to now? This looks nice. So this is ah, this is like uh, underbelly. <laughs> what are we coming up to? A big anti-terrorist uh, yeah. bollard. So never mind the bollards. Oh, uh, very good. Here's so this is the gilded balloon again. Like it's just I could I could be here in 2009, 2010. Up here, you know, there's the I mean they have it at night, but you know there's the guy like holding onto the bar, and if you can do 100 seconds, you get 100 pounds. Really? So yeah, they do it on a night. Um, and and uh, I've seen it a few years running, and last night we saw someone do it. Oh, and ov- oh, and ov- you, it's a tenner to enter, right? So obviously oh, the guy who runs it, bit of an investment. Yeah, it's he knows that like he'll make enough. It's somebody yeah. sooner or later someone will be able to hold themselves up on a bar for a yeah. hundred seconds, but not enough. But yeah, so we saw it, which is good. So two hundred seconds next year. Right, thanks, Glenn. Thank 
Vandal Factory go to the Edinburgh Fringe. Hooray! <laughs> oh, didn't we have a lovely time? That last I'm alright, thanks man, was me saying sorry to a flyer who yeah. was trying to <laughs> give us a flyer when we were recording a podcast, bless him. You've got to have a bash, haven't you? You've yeah. got to try. I um, had such yeah. a fabulous time. Good. I really did. I was quite... Um, apprehensive about yeah. going up to Edinburgh because it was it was my only break that I was going to get this summer and I really felt like what I really needed to do was be on a deserted island somewhere with no phone signal and just like lying still with no stimulus whatsoever. Instead you were surrounded by thousands of people <laughs> trying to put pieces of paper in your hand trying to get you to come and see their all-star yeah. cabaret show. Yeah so we, we saw I saw 10 shows in two and a half days um, and I have to say, I had nothing to be worried about because it was absolutely brilliant and, and felt really buoyant and G'd up. And, and I actually think, and I don't say this lightly, I think it made me fall back in love with art again. <gasps> and, uh, the flame has been feel, relit. <laughs> I feel quite emotional. Like, it was, a, I don't know about if it was just luck as it often is but I gave seven out of ten shows a standing ovation and mm. in fact the other two, two or three I probably would have done had it been slightly after lunch <laughs> you know it was just a bit early in the morning to give a standing ovation that's all but um uh have generally walked around feeling so inspired by uh, saxophone players and gymnasts and comedians and theatre makers and the lights and just like the logistics of how this festival works and seeing people eating together and mm. enjoying their life together. And I think a lot of the work was also reflective of that. Like a lot of the shows that I saw, which is really life affirming and deeply emotional and still very kind of isn't life hard, but generally, hey, aren't humans great and and, yeah. and look at what we can do all these funny weird things and and i think for all its yeah, it inaccessibility lovely. of the fringe like Which we'll talk about later um yeah. it is still still people making theater and art and telling stories and uh, in some cases pouring their hearts out well, in if, all if, cases if, if if anything it's it makes me like oh yeah it is worth saving because mm. i think before i was like yeah whatever move on like let's mm. Let's diversify and and find other things to do and let's do alternatives. And then it really made me go, oh, no, I want this to be something that everyone can truly enjoy and experience. And this feeling of, like, just having a laugh and being excited to see what the next show will do. That I haven't felt that for a very, very long time. And then being on my feet at the end of a show and... Yeah, that that's something that everyone, no matter what your ability, what your wage packet, all the rest of it, should be able to enjoy, enjoy and appreciate. Why, Natalie, it almost sounds like you're ready for a provocation station. <gasps> oh, yes, I am. The chat train is pulling into Nat's provocation station. Hello, listeners. Um, <laughs> that's my radio voice I've been practising. Um, over the summer, I read um, lots of stuff. But one of, one of these articles that I read was in uh, a book called Community, Art and Power, brackets, all in this together, by Francois Matarasso. Well, today's provocation is inspired by um, his writing. And 
particularly it, it, this article, he talks about the depoliticization of community art. Um, and he delves into the history of community art dating back to the 1960s. And, and this takes us right the way up to 2011. Um, and he describes the dawn of this movement being born of a diverse group of artists of varying genres, um, all with broadly leftist leanings and a belief that art is to be created and enjoyed by everyone, not just an elite minority. Oh, a little bit like I was just saying about the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Um, and Matissi, Matissi Arso. <laughs> That's not right, <laughs> is it? Anyway, <laughs> that guy then describes the slow oh, decline Ma of this. Maratasso, Francois Maratasso. Maratasso then describes the slow decline of this movement from the late 80s as Thatcher's government co-ops the word community to describe various um, policies that her government were putting into place. And, and following this, there's an increased rise in centrism and individualism in the 1990s. So this, um, the community art movement was somewhat replaced with the less politicised language of participation arts. And, and this also comes at a time where there's great public investment in the arts and the creation of, uh, inverted commas, the, crea the creative industries. So there's this co-option again um, of, of the left. And note this sort of, how often do we see dominant hegemonies and, and cultures co-opting their critics and going let's absorb it into us and then it's a bit like keeping your enemies close and your friends close and your enemies closer right it's like saying if if you if you create a department for culture as new labor did if you look at these deindustrialized towns and you build art centers like new labor did and then what you're doing is you're controlling like what art and what theatre gets made and you'll make you turn it into a hegemony of funding, right? So instead of all these radical groups running around making um theatre on their own terms, suddenly there's there's a there's a model that you have to follow if you want to like it's 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 controlled. It's it's yeah. a sort of I don't know, it's a Labour Party version of 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 nationalisation, but if you nationalise something you you control it, you mm. model it, you go, we own we own this and therefore we we can put you in a little box yeah and you've got nothing what what do you oh you wanted art for everyone did you well we're doing that so what's the problem mm. whereas um whilst not acknowledging the power discrepancy mm -hmm. in that situation mm. um so finishes with a call to arms for artists to work within collectivist principles and um What's, again, interesting is that his account finishes in 2011. So at this point, I'm 21 and just starting my professional creative mm. career. And, like, note that I'm comfortable using that language and probably would have done at that time as well of saying creative professional career, mm. which also nods to, like, the creative industries and, like, being born in the 90s where mm -hmm. that's... That's the world. That's the language that I'm used to, and I, I doubt very much that like the artists working in community art in the '80s, such as the theatre company in well uh, called Welfare State, who set up a camp 
on a former former rubbish tip in Burnley. Mm. I doubt they were talking about their professional career in mm. artists as artists and, and using that language. Um, but if we look at the last ten years politically, there's there's a, a huge rise in protest movements, and we've had Extinction Rebellion and Greta Thunberg and um, Jeremy Lives, Corbyn and Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter, Matter and um, and and so we can't say that no that the, the collectivist action mm. has died a death, um, and and also. And not just in alternative leftist spaces anymore. Like you can have a look at um, diversity, the dance group performing a dance directed to black, um, dedicated to Black Lives Matter on Britain's Got Talent to like 5.6 million viewers live. Um, or the England football team taking the knee before every game in the European Championships. This is like they're Britain's Got Talent and the European Championship and people making statements mm. against. Um, uh, uh, not just for individual change, mm. but for collective change, for systematic change. Mm. Um, that's absolutely happened in the last ten years. So, and to take it back to our us, I mean, I noticed the other day that it's um, listeners might be interested to know that it's mine and Henry's ten-year friend anniversary. Oh, it's been ten years since I moved to York, and. Um, uh, I met Henry shortly after. Yeah, you're gonna come. You thought you were gonna say something sarcastic then. You're talking about friendship. friendship. Yes, I am uh. talking about friendship, and in that, I can definitely recognise um, a change from people calling themselves practitioners to calling themselves artists. Mm-hmm. I think there's um, a lot more use of the word community-based with the work that we do. Um, there's always been like chat about, or do you say applied theatre or participatory or engagement mm. or outreach? And oh man, all synonyms. I mean, they yeah, do, they, they all just mean the yeah. same thing. And really interestingly, I've said interestingly so many times. Sorry, mm, um, that's interesting. they they're all synonyms, and they're used by people who do the work who are in the industry, and very rarely by anyone else. Mm, like, but yeah. pa- participants aren't turning up to a thing going oh i'm in an outreach group actually sorry i can't be part of this community group because i'm in an outreach group yeah like um, it does. and i'm definitely not part of a, a participatory through group. through the creative engagement department yeah. at the theater i'm doing this show yeah. like that doesn't yeah. that language doesn't happen does it so again that's like a depoliticization of it um where it's something that's just used within creative industries but didn't really mean anything to anyone um if you say you're an artist generally people get what that is if you say you're part of a community people get a sense of what that is yeah um so i think my provocation is we should all just call ourselves community artists and recognize that like uh, celebrate that collective action has uh blossomed not blossomed sounds like it Mm. it wasn't there before but like if you're reading this article and it ends in 2011 you're thinking oh no like this is sort of the end of the left and it's really not been it's interesting even though life's terrible (laughs) it's interesting it's been a long road from those uh small 
groups working in local communities with communities from communities to the arts councils let's create which is a little bit old-fashioned now but their let's create program funding was that you have to put communities and young mm. people at the center yeah, of your it's funding absolutely mainstream like yeah. talking about again going further back than 10 years when i was doing my first degree of applied mm. theater and first learning about queerness and feminism and decolonialization and at, at that time these concepts not only were like blowing my mind mm. and and um but it felt like we were a, we understood this stuff and we were a tiny minority mm. and now we've got kids who are seemingly like born knowing this stuff <laughs> you know we've got a whole generation within 10 years where those concepts that i considered as like oh you get to university or mm. drama school and then you understand this stuff it's like no we've got like 14 year olds coming up and be like let's <laughs> let's restructure stuff mm. let's let's reshape the world that's really exciting really positive yeah and it, and it makes me think this and this is a chat for a whole another time again about power dynamics and who leads who who's the hierarchy i read a book over the summer manchester press manchester university press um, which was called Culture is Bad for You, which was about the um, the gatekeeping and who gets to sit at the table, who gets the scraps, who's actually running the show. And uh, yeah, all those really difficult but important conversations about like all, who is art for and is it just like you do a nice little project with a community who are participating in outreach and mm. then you tick those boxes and you, 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 you've done that well done. Um yeah, it's a good one. I I find I also found I find it really hard to reflect and write and think about this stuff at the moment when you just know people are hungry and you know people are just terrified about the bills mm. and it all just becomes very um I'm trying not to swear. <laughs> naff. And naff. It becomes really naff and you you want to just go out and take some action and do it. Just do it. Well, I tell you what we saw a play, didn't we, at Edinburgh Fringe Festival, did. which was about young people making a stand and taking action. Admittedly, it probably was the wrong action because they went and ran away and hid in the Peak District. But it, <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, they took a stand, and it was a play by uh, play called She Wolves mm. by a company called She Wolves, and we had a chat with them afterwards, didn't we? Oh, She Wolves! Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a lovely little show. Hiya, I'm Harriet um, and I play Lou in She Wolves, um, one of the rebellious 14 year olds who decides to run away from home. I'm Gerja, I play Priya in She Wolves and she's the other 14 year old rebellious <laughs> teenager um, and she's a bit funky, that's her vibe. <laughs> I'm Steph. I am at heart a rebellious teenager. Um, I'm the stage manager and sometime production manager of She Wolves. Hi, I'm Sarah Middleton. I am the writer of the play and I also co-run the company with Hannah Stone, who is not here today, but Hannah is the director of the piece and we run the company together. So we've just come out of it and yes! we were giggling and laughing and nodding seriously <laughs> and at the end we all went, woo! Converts. It was such a lovely show and, and fierce and really pacey and beautifully written. And um, I, was, I was I was smiling, but it's actually not 
I don't know how common it is to have a show that's about rebellion and anger and um, uh, angst, but it be full of joy and playfulness and happiness. So thank you for that. I feel like I've been having had a real gift that it's really enjoyable hour. I'm going to start with our beautiful writer Sarah because I'm guessing that the genesis of the, the play started with you. Yeah, um, yeah, it did. It was. I've worked with Hannah before, and we had made a children's show together, and we wanted to make something else together. And there was this was at the beginning of 2020, or maybe the end of 2019. There was a commission happening in the Midlands for a piece of work for Year Eight. So we we started thinking about what we would have liked to have seen when we were Year Eight, and that's kind of where the piece started it was originally going to be a Duke of Edinburgh expedition gone wrong which in many ways it still yeah, is but um so we started there we didn't actually get that commission but we loved the project so we carried on working on it and we've developed it from that point um so yeah it's been a good two and a half years of developing this show really and can you tell us a bit more about what that development involved and particularly did it involve any young people yeah we worked a lot with young people on this project and that's always been the way that we wanted to make it because I am not a teenager anymore. Um, much like Steph, I am a teenager at heart, of course, but it's a long time, surprisingly long time since I was a teenager. So we we started with an Arts Council-funded R&D at the end of 2020, where we I'd written a draft of the script by that point, but we worked with young people in Mansfield and Nottingham and London and a couple of people from Leicester as well to share parts of the script they fed back on the script they said Sarah we wouldn't speak like that and um, they gave us lots of notes on that and also we then they made their own work in collaboration with local practitioners so they did a few different workshops including spoken word and they did a zine making workshop so um so it's always been important that as we develop this play with a professional company we alongside that we're we're making sort of space for young people to make their own work in response to the themes of this show so that's what the company is about um so since that point we then developed the show further and have now formed a company she wolves productions and that's the way that we work and that's the way that we're aiming to continue to work so for there to always be input from young people into the professionally made shows but alongside that they make their own work which sometimes depending on which theatre we're at they'll these Wolfpack groups, which is kind of how that's all, um, what that's led to. The Wolfpack groups share their own work as a curtain raiser before She Wolves, and then they watch the show as well. So we see their work, they see our work, we all share it together in front of an audience. Fantastic. And I think you can really see the the depth of that in the writing, and particularly in the, the chemistry between your two characters and these little moments where you share um, quick back and forth together that depth that you're talking about from workshops and playing there was so much play going on on stage that was really just a joy to watch can we talk a little bit more about your development of those characters yeah um so me and Gojot didn't know each other before the process we didn't even audition together actually um so I guess it was kind of just a bit of a potluck hoping that we would work well together um but yeah I think Throughout the rehearsal process, Hannah, um, our director, was really great as well with kind of giving us exercises to get to know each other as people and also like our characters. So there was like one day and we had to go to different parts of the room. Like we took it in turns to take each other and it was be like, say like, what's your favourite thing about like 
Gerjot's personality or something. And we'd barely even known each other yeah. at this point. Like, it wasn't very long. Um, but it was just, and it was like, like your favourite childhood memory or something that like means a lot to you. Um, and I guess it was kind of making that like base level of, like, I want to say intimacy, obviously, like the idea that we have known each other because although the characters aren't friends at the start they've been at school together like they know each other um whereas we didn't have that so kind of creating that base layer for us as people so then as characters we can like build on that um but i mean the rehearsal room was really playful wasn't it yeah. it was we when we did like warm-up games to start the day it would start off as as us playing as people and then it would be like okay how would lou and priya play this game I think yeah, it's the same. The same. The same uh, activity came in my head was where we went to different parts of the room and said nice things about each yeah. other, because um, that was kind of like the beginning of the foundation of us as friends outside of Lou and Priya. Mm-hmm. But then quite a lot of that did feed into Lou and Priya because they just have this like chemistry that just bounces off each other. That at the start is a bit like jigsawy. They're trying to figure it out, and then eventually, I think what's great is it the. You, in the play, you see the snowball effect of them becoming really like fast and snappy and witty with each other. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I think it was just during the during the rehearsals, it just ended up, we just ended up having that rapport with each other and that led yeah. into the characters. And also, like, how similar the characters might be to us as people sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I say that you two look really young anyway. <laughs> I mean, we're, there's, like, on one half of the table here, we've got the people going, I remember yeah. being a teenager. It can't be that far long ago for you two. I mean, you don't have to I'm share. I'm 10 years older than Lou. I'm 24 now. Really? 10 years older than Lou. Wow. Which makes me feel really weird. I love, you, I love that you think that that is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a lot. This side of the table, we're like... I love that you said, I'm so far away from being a teenager. <laughs> Something I was struck by, uh, sort of the ending not to give it away, but the solution is almost social media. And I think you do see a lot of plays for teenagers, by teenagers, with youth theatres. I don't know, that are like, "Mm, watch out for social media, folks. Instagram, I don't know. And obviously we know that lots of issues come with that, but there does seem to be a heroism in how these characters use social media. Was that a deliberate thing? Did that come from working with young people? Yeah, it did. We had a lot of conversations about that. Um, So... Yeah, so the the play really is about amplifying the voices of young people and it's about how young people can advocate for themselves to raise their own voices and to raise the voices of each other. And social media has a big role to play in that. And we did a lot we did experiment with that a lot and we spoke to young people about that a lot and most of them sort of we come into it as adults saying, "Oh, you know, are you are you worried about social media?" And most of the young people, I don't want to speak for them all, but most of them were like, no, we're really not that stressed about it. Like, this is just a thing that adults think is terrible. And we're like, we know that it's problematic, but we also know that it's useful. And they were much sort of smarter about that than I think I am. It's a hysteria um, that adults yes, can have. Yeah, it? like we, we just think about all the terrible stuff. But actually, when you look at, you know, there's a lot of Greta Thunberg in this show. And when you look at, when you know there's a line in the show that says nobody would have known who Greta was if she didn't post her stuff on Instagram and I think there's a there's a lot to be said for that and um especially in terms of activism and in terms of raising the raising the voice of young people and giving them a platform 
in which they can speak. Social media is a fantastic tool for that. Um, it is also problematic, so we wanted to be aware of that. There's another line in the show where earlier on, before, so Lou at the beginning of the show is not on board with social media, and she says social media is not a substitute for activism, which is sort of, it's sort of a, you know, a joke line, but it is also true, I think. And I think it was important for us to not say social media is a fix for this, but it is a tool. So that's kind of where we wanted to be at with it, I think. It was, it was really lovely to, at the end, hear different young people's voices saying, I'm going to speak out for trans rights, I'm going to speak out for... Uh, I can't, can't quite Queer exactly rights and were, fe- yeah. female rights were the big three. Yeah. I don't think... I think what's beautiful with Priya is, at the beginning, she does not know about the whole protesting world or whatsoever. She very much learns that from Lou. And I think you get to see the growth of her her finding her own path to it. And it takes time because even when she's going along with it, it's kind of like funny to her at parts. And then it's like, oh, this is cool. And then it's like, oh, no, actually, I can have my own version of doing it, which is like on Instagram, I'm going to make an Instagram live and we're going to be better than Greta and this is going to be... And I think she does find her own voice. And I think that's what I really enjoyed with Priya is that she does have a voice and she's very she's got strong opinions from the beginning. She is very smart. It's just finding a channel to put that through and putting all that energy that she does have that probably at school she probably gets in trouble for talking too much for getting sent out of the class but mm. actually this is like a portal through which it actually can make sense and she can actually be heard so, yeah. that's the thing it's like they need each other in the sense like at first Lou's doing all these protests but nobody's listening to her and she doesn't have the platform to do it she stood outside school and all she's doing is getting in trouble for trying to like raise her voice um, whereas Priya's like shouting out but probably about the wrong things and not really knowing how to like fight the battles but then when they come together kind of if you think about it as simply as like social media and things like that Lou not having it and Priya being like oh no but I use Instagram all the time and I have all these followers and Lou going yeah well we need to speak up about these important things that are wrong with the world together it literally is the perfect thing of well this is the platform and this is the way that we can like make our voices heard and I think even until the last minute I mean Lou's not really on board oh that's not a spoiler I don't know if we get I don't really feel like there are any spoilers anyway um, we start the show with it we start the show with a flash forward to the end so yeah, there's so no spoilers <laughs> um, but that what you were saying before Sarah about the line of um, oh my gosh nobody my brain's gone about- nobody would have known about Greta if she, if she didn't put her stuff online I think that is really only the turning point where Lou's like actually maybe yeah okay maybe I do need to do this maybe this is where it needs to change and then obviously at the end kind of in the montages when we're, we're talking to the yeah. followers and all that kind of stuff I think um, we needed e- they needed each other to learn about ways to get their voice heard and, and how, to, how to channel that. But I think as well, it's nice that maybe young people might get that from watching the, from watching the play. So if there's like Lou's watching, they might be like, oh, there are ways that I can maybe do this, get my voice heard. And if there's Priya's watching, it's like, well, I can speak up about this and I can make a difference. So like the process the characters go through, if you know, the actual audience are going through that process, then I think that's quite a nice... Well, I, I started to chew over all of the issues that are involved a long time ago based on what my experience of theatre was. So I, when the role was advertised, I was really into the whole thing in the first place anyway. Um, I'm a great proponent of community theatre, educational theatre, didactic theatre, 
and the idea that um, the role was specifically advertised as one that included having to work with young people when young people came to be on stage and to to aid that process as much as a well almost as much as aiding this process and getting this play up and running was something that really appealed to me um, the minutiae of the play itself I just every day I'm finding new things and new kind of politics with a small p as well as politics with a big p kind of elements to the play kind of standing out every single day I've just noticed I'm bleeding <laughs> bleeding with enthusiasm for the play I would, give my blood to this play yeah. <laughs> I would take a similar question to you two as well of going well I think one of the reasons why it's such a joy is because we see these characters learning from each other and learning about themselves as well as about the, as you say, finding their own route to their own form of protest. So um, for you both personally, what's this play meant and has it changed or impacted any kind of politics or how you might think about going about your own activism? I think it definitely makes you realise that whatever background you have, you still do have a right to protest and you, you, your protest will always have a different voice to it. The response that we've had from the audiences and people who've watched it and, like, younger people or, well, people of any age, really, and just kind of feeling like they... The idea that we might help people find their voice, I think, is the nice thing. Is there a particular song uh, that you'd like us to play? I would love you to play the entire soundtrack to She-Wolves, which is written by Ellie Isherwood. It is available on SoundCloud. I will give you the link to it. Um, but all of Ellie's stuff is amazing, and she composed a lot of incredible music for this show. I will, um, I will also add to that list Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill, which has been... I've listened to it loads whilst making this show, and it's just a massive tune. Get involved. Um, yeah, Bikini Kill, Rebel Girl, and the She-Wolves album by Ellie Isherwood. Three, two, one. Ow!
because every single song you own is a banger. It's time for Nat's banger of the hour. Bangers? Is it a banger? Natalie, I would like to ask, is it a banger? And I would hope the answer is yes. Yes, it's a banger. Uh, so at the beginning of the show, Henry played a song dedicated to Boris Johnson, who is who? leaving the uh, number 10 Downing Street today. I would like to dedicate this banger not only to Liz Trustar, our new prime minister, but also the leader of the opposition. Who? <laughs> Keir Starmer. Uh, this... Sir Keir Starmer. All right, whatever. Uh, this is... All right, Corbynite. <laughs> this, this is something worth voting for. Give us something worth voting for by the tots. Who's doing Korean?
This is Apollo 21, do you read me? <coughs> this is Houston, go ahead. <coughs> Houston, we have a problem. We appear to have lost all contact with Special Commander Raby. Repeat, he has become completely unresponsive. <coughs> this is Houston. Do not worry about Commander Raby. He's doing his own thing. I asked my friend Dave for some snappy jingles for this feature <laughs> and I get a 34-minute skit. That's right, folks. Before we say goodbye, it's time for Henry to do his own thing. And I'm Henry, so I better do my own thing. Off you pop. Um, so this one, I think you're going to like this, Nat, because it's a poem <gasps> about being sad. Oh, good. It's called, This is Secretly a Poem About the Welfare State. <laughs> <laughs> Were you going to be like, is it about the world first day? No, I, I was going to be like, can, can I heckle? But maybe you wouldn't appreciate that. That's okay. All my friends wake up to the silence of their phones, simultaneously read text messages asking them to come in for a shift. We crick our necks to scan messages across a choice of networks, connectivity at a cost to our data, but Wordle is worth it. We wake up to backaches and for goodness sakes, get out of bed that millisecond too late. All our landlords have popped round to check in. Antidepressant breakfast while the landlord advises every second is a second you could be earning. All my friends are ever so deserving, cradle to grave, but only to a certain age. All my friends are knackered. Decked by waiting lists and no word yet, my friends call GPs and, spoiler alert, correctly predicts the failed response. My friends advise each other on posh baked bean recipes. Count <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when you use me to to write poems about. Stop writing poems about my life. <laughs> it's Continue. ten years of friendship right here. <laughs> Countdown days until they can visit the clinic. The bus doesn't go where we want it to go. The route's like a quest, but the return ticket won't be valid. Like a hobbit spread over too many movies. Bus routes carved up like chewing orcs. My friends sit down to eat a meal that has got more expensive in the last 24 hours. My friends count the creeping cost of lunch. Midday double... Do- Midday, double jobbing, hobbling along, internet at the libraries down, laptops knackered, doom scrolling, brain fogging, I'm tripping up over my bootstraps and toppling down unfixed potholes. YouGov asks if we're planning a holiday abroad this year and we smirk. Fool me once, we mutter through yet another general election. We're, that evening, we are borrowing X's Netflixes. Wait, hold on. By evening, we are borrowing X's Netflixes. We are viewing flats like lat-stitch attempts. We're calculating rail card viability, buying another power meter plug, checking how mum's getting on, feeling too guilty to properly enjoy the takeaway. My friends are legends. Surviving through dodgy broadband, we send each other love in the form of plucked memes, the finest gleaming gifts. At least we're not failures at selecting the perfect songs. My friends are knackered. My friends have made far too many placards. My friends just want revenge. Oh, very good. Love that. But Henry, look, you're going to have to work harder at disguising (laughs) actually just writing. Just take out my friends. You might as well just say Nat. (laughs) This is secretly a poem about Nat. (laughs) Just because your millennial experiences are universal, Natalie. (laughs) 
good material for a poem. <laughs> I'll just write this down. You should take me to court and be like, yeah. where's my where's my cut? I want 10% of the nothing of that the, he's yeah, making. <laughs> Folks, thank you for listening to Vandal Factory episode nine. Whoa, Whoa. series two, episode one. Well, that's You can go back <laughs> and listen to all our episodes, probably where you're listening to now. Like if, yeah, if you're listening to place. it now, unless you've like hacked into my laptop and got the individual file otherwise. Can I have a word, actually? I'd really like some more listener correspondence. Yeah. I think everyone could... I've got a couple of people get in touch with me privately to say, oh, just so you know, I've listened to this episode and it's really great. Can you just say that a bit more publicly, please? So we are on Facebook. We are <laughs> yep. on Twitter. We're yep. on Instagram. Yep. And if you want to drop us an email, we are vandalfactorytheatre at gmail.com. And Indeed. we have a website. We've got everything. Yeah. We're loaded. We also have a Spotify playlist where um, I put all the songs. So yeah. if you hear a banger you like, don't That's worry. You can find yeah, it. Yeah, you can enjoy it. Hope, you, <sighs> hope your anger and your hope is restored and live and well. It's going to be a hard winter. But we can do this. Come on. E- come on. We're going to win. We're, We're going to win. Give us something. Worth voting for. Give us something worth voting for. Music. Reviews. Chat. Poems. Comedy. Writing. Interviews. EFM. It's radio for so much more. My name's Natalie Quaitwas and I'm going to talk at this volume. And I'm Henry Raby and I'll talk at this volume and that seems about right for the show where we're very enthusiastic. Do, 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 do. Very enthusiastic. Do, do. Very enthusiastic. Do, do.